Hi, my name is Anna Self, and you're listening to a public podcast. If you want more information about anything going on here at Public Church, visit our website, publicchurch.com. Thanks for listening. And the relevance of this series became even more intense last Sunday night, as Alex and Katie said. And last Sunday, if you weren't here with us, we had a really special day. Our creative team and production team worked really hard to give us a visual that Jesus shines in the darkness. You can see that visual. It's a sign in the lobby where many of us wrote about the darkness within us on that sign, and then we saw the light of Jesus shine through that. And so on a day where we saw this powerful visual, later that night, darkness seemed to just advance, honestly, more than ever. And yet through Hope Church, as they said, and through so many other churches and Jesus followers, what we've seen, even so far in Vegas, is that Jesus is shining through the darkness of this tragic event. And almost a week later, while many of us, even though we're a four-hour plane ride away, like Cody and I both graduated with Micah, and he's one of our good friends. I mean, a lot of us are connected to Hope, and even though we're a four-hour plane ride away, many of us are still processing what happened there. Victims, their families of victims, they're picking up the pieces, and they're trying to somehow come to grips with the reality that their lives will never be the same. And so with that in mind, we're going to return to a question that we asked the very first week of this series, which is, who wins in the end, light or darkness? Like, in the end of it all, who wins? And can I know that good will ultimately overcome evil? And look, when we discuss discuss the end of everything, we also have to acknowledge our end. If you've checked the death stats recently, they've been unchanged for about 2,000 years, and the death stats remain at 100%. Everyone who is born dies. That may not be the most encouraging news that you wanted to hear this morning, but they've been consistent for about 2,000 years. So I'm just saying, all of us in this room have an event coming that we don't want to face. It's looming, and it is our death. So a question that we want to ask is, Hey, does light win in the end? But we also, I think, want to ask, does light win at the end of my life? See, what happens after this world? And is there any hope as we go on to this topic? And so as we discuss that today, we're actually going to be in John chapter 17. So if you have your Bible or Bible apps, you can go ahead and and turn or click over to there. And it's going to be a few minutes before we get there. But we just want to take a few minutes and consider our, ourselves on one more question before we dive into John, and it's this. So we, we're going to ask the question about who wins in the end, Then I think we got to back up and ask one more question. Is there anyone in the Bible that can address this question? Like, is there anyone in the Bible that can, with authority, speak to this issue? Because let's be honest, in the midst of facing darkness like we've seen in our nation recently, and especially in Vegas, We don't want to hear from someone who's just had the easiest possible life. We want to hear from someone who has faced the darkness, someone who has endured an event like Vegas, who has been there, and who still says at the end of that, that light wins. And so the person whose words that we're going to trust today because he's been there, his name is John. See, in this series, we've been in a couple different books. We're going to add a third book this week, but all of our time has been spent in books written by a guy named John. And John was a disciple or follower of Jesus. He was not only a follower of Jesus, he was one of Jesus's very best friends. And so at first glance, it seems like a pretty good life, right? He was one of Jesus's best friends. I mean, <laughs> wouldn't we all want to be that if we lived in the time that Jesus was around? But a closer look at John's life helps us see that he endured a whole lot of darkness. 
See, John watched as one of the other disciples, one of his very close friends, betrayed his best friend, Jesus. He saw a betrayal firsthand, and not just any kind of betrayal, not the betrayal of a business deal or something like that, but the betrayal that led to Jesus' murder. After this betrayal, he watched as Jesus was unjustly tried. He was around when Jesus was mercilessly beaten and murdered in one of the cruelest forms of execution for this time period known as the cross. And know that when Jesus died, no one, no one, including John, thought that there would be a resurrection. Everyone, including John, thought it was over. So John knows what it's like to go to sleep and think that darkness has won. And yet, John saw the light shine and overcome the darkness when three days later, Jesus rose from the dead and conquered death. He saw this. He was an eyewitness to this. But even after the resurrection, John's life wasn't just filled with Starbucks lattes and lots of Perkett yogurt. I mean, this guy still had a tough life. In fact, what happened is John watched as one by one, the other disciples, his close friends were murdered. These are his ministry partners. These are his buddies. This is his crew. And slowly, one by one, he got word that this person was martyred because they believed in Jesus, and this person was martyred. His own brother was one of these disciples, and his own brother was killed by the sword. So eventually, John had to feel just intense loneliness as he experienced the death of loved ones. But he also watched the destruction of his favorite city. See, for Jews in this time period, Jerusalem was the city on earth. It was the pinnacle of the Jewish nation. And not only was Jerusalem so special, but there was this place, the sacred building in Jerusalem. It was called the temple. And growing up, John was taught that the temple was the one place on earth where you went to connect with God. And when John followed Jesus, he learned that that wasn't true. But even still, as the temple wasn't the only place to connect with God, but it was still a very special landmark and in his mind, the most sacred and special city on earth. And yet, John only watched his friends die. John watched as thousands of Jews were massacred by the Roman Empire in the city of Jerusalem. He watched as this sacred place called the temple was burned to the ground. So when John writes in John 1.5, which is going to be on the screen, when he writes this, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it, we can know that John writes from the perspective of someone who intimately knows the darkness. He has seen it close in on him. He writes with authority as someone whose word that we can take, and he writes as a best friend of Jesus, and he teaches us that Jesus is the light, so we can actually substitute Jesus in for the light, and we can claim this truth, and I'd love for us just to read this together. Ready, go, that Jesus shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome him. John has been there, and we can trust him. And John has something specific that he wants to say to us about heaven, about our question. Who really wins in the end, light or darkness? And more personally, who wins in my life? Like, is there a hope for me beyond this world? And when we talk about heaven, you know, chances are that different Members of us in this room, we, we think about it 
different amounts of time. Like if you're 16, you probably don't think about it quite as much as if you're 60, right? If you have health problems, you may think about it a little bit more than someone who's healthy. And in a room this size, there are lots of different opinions and thoughts on heaven. Some of you may not even believe that heaven is real. And look, if that's what you think, we're just glad you're here so that we can have this conversation together. And so what we want to do this morning is we want to make it a conversation. So find someone close to you that looks friendly that you can talk to. And as you find that person, there's going to be a question on the screen. And we just want to answer this question. If heaven is real, recognizing not everybody in the room may believe in heaven, but if it is real, what or who do you hope is there? Now, don't get caught up in theology. We'll get there. Don't worry about that. Just the deepest level of your soul. If you're going to talk about heaven, who or what do you hope is there? So talk to your friend about it. Go. Who or what is in heaven? Some of you may have gone real serious and talked about my grandma, my mom, my dad. Some of you might have been like a golf course that I can actually like play really well on. You know, we, we all have differing opinions and differing expectations of this idea about heaven. So here's what we want to do this morning. In John 17, Jesus is praying, and as he's praying, he, he makes a statement that I believe is the most clear yet confusing definition of heaven we could ever read, okay? It's super clear once we dig into it. When we first read it, we're going to go, what is he talking about? So we want to look at Jesus' statement, the most clear yet confusing definition of heaven, and here's what we want to do this morning. We just want to say, Jesus, what do you think about heaven? Jesus, what do you think about heaven? Jesus, what is your answer to our question, does light win in the end? And what is your answer to my question of who wins at the end of my life? And look, even if you don't follow Jesus, I think it benefits us to see his perspective because in this room, many of us are Jesus followers. In this room, some of us are curious about what it means to follow Jesus. Others of you, you were dragged here, possibly even bribed to get here by someone who wants you to follow Jesus. So here's the thing. No matter where we're at, I think it benefits us all to ask the question, Jesus, what do you think about heaven? So let's ask that question, and let's see his answer in John chapter 17, verse 3. Jesus starts out, and he says, and this is eternal life. And so if you're reading the Bible, which I, you should do that on your own, the Bible's incredible. And if you're reading the Bible, this is the point that hopefully you lean in. Jesus is saying, this is eternal life. This is heaven. Like we should be on the edge of our seats. And I'm reading this thinking, all right, what's he about to say? Is he about to say that it's limitless Chick-fil-A? Is he about to say that it's all the Mexican I can eat without weight gain? Is he about to say that there's perkets on every, anybody hungry? You can tell, just hungry a little bit. But you know, what is it in heaven? Like, when I get there, am I going to be able to dunk finally on a goal that's taller than seven foot tall? You know, like, ladies, when you get to heaven, is there going to be limitless shopping with no budget and no money? Guys, are you going to be able to catch the biggest fish you've ever caught and just kill big deers? I don't know if you can kill in heaven, but can you hunt in heaven? I mean, what is it? This is in heaven. Come on, Jesus, give it to me. Like, this is eternal life. And then here's what Jesus says. He says, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. The most clear but confusing definition of heaven ever. Because we read this and we're like, well, that doesn't say anything about Chick-fil-A or hunting or shopping. I'm a little bit confused. So let's just break it down word by word. It says the word know. Here's what it means. It means to be familiar with, to learn to know, and to be familiar with through personal 
experience. This word know goes beyond just intellectual knowledge and it moves into the realm of relationship. So here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, hey, eternal life, heaven, is becoming familiar with God and Jesus through personal experience through a relationship. So what makes heaven, heaven? What makes heaven, heaven? It's Jesus. See, Jesus tells us that eternal life is an unhindered relationship with him. If we want Jesus' definition of eternal life, here's what he says, eternal life is an unhindered relationship with Jesus. And at this point, you may be tempted to check out. You're like, that just, that's not what I was expecting. Like, I'm just going to sneak out. No one will ever notice that I left, or I'm just going to check out. Look, could we just lean in for a few minutes? Because I think there's a treasure here that if we check out mentally, we're totally going to miss. See, if eternal life is an unhindered relationship with Jesus, then what does that mean? It means that Jesus shifts the focus from a place to a person, from an event to a relationship. Here's what Jesus is doing with this statement. He shifts the focus from a place to a person, from an event to a relationship. When we think about heaven, we have to think about a place, don't we? We think about going to heaven, and we think about an event. Now, this event, we don't like to think about a whole lot because our death, but we do think about this event, this death, our death, that sends us to a place called heaven. See, we have this tendency to focus on places and events. But Jesus, he's always prioritizing people over places. He's always looking beyond events to build relationships. And we see this in the book of Revelation. This is another book written by John, and we're gonna be in it some today. And so in Revelation chapter 21, John is gonna make a statement that we read and we're like, oh, this doesn't even matter. But his original audience would have fallen out of their seats when they read or heard John say this. John says this in Revelation 21, 22. He says, and I saw no temple in the city. Now he's talking about heaven. He has seen a vision of heaven. And he's saying, in heaven, I saw no temple in the city. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. Now we read this, and I get it. We think, who cares about a temple? What does this even mean in my life? In my question, how does this connect to me? But when the original audience read this, they would have gone, no, no, no temple. They would have dropped the scroll. They would have thrown their chair. They would have like, what is John talking about? Because the temple was the most sacred place on earth, and the temple was the place you met God. If you want to connect with God, you must go to the temple. And John says, when I saw heaven, there was no temple. The temple is actually replaced by an unhindered relationship with God. See, anytime we focus on a place, we create obstacles. Because I have to go to that place to connect with God. And so if there is a temple in heaven, that means that there is one particular place in heaven that we have to go to to connect with God. And so here's what John is saying. He's saying, there's no temple in heaven. There are no obstacles to connecting with God. Eternal life is an unhindered relationship with Jesus. And in fact, he says that God and Jesus, they're the temple. So you can just go straight to them. So how does this affect us now? How does this change the way we live? We must change the way we communicate about heaven and begin to emphasize a person named Jesus over a far off place. 
We must emphasize a relationship with Jesus over an event called dying where we go to this place. And yes, one day, everyone who follows Jesus, when they die, will go to a place called heaven. But if we minimize heaven to a place and we focus on an event called death, there's a trap that is lying there waiting for us. And here's the trap. It's buying into the lie that all we got to do is just secure our ticket to heaven and then just wait on the opportunity to go there. So here's the trap. When we think about heaven as a place and we focus on the event called death, then it's easy for us to view our lives just like we're in an airport terminal. Does anybody in the room like to fly, actually like to fly? A few hands up. Anybody hate to fly? You're like scared of it? Okay, cool. So wherever we're at, if you've not been in an airport terminal, here's the thing. You got your ticket, right? You secure your ticket and you go in and you find your gate. And once you find your gate, you wait, don't you? You wait, you play on your phone, you look at strangers and make fun of them. Okay, maybe you shouldn't do that, but whatever you do, you just wait and you pass the time and you just wait and you can do whatever you want. And then at some point, your number is called, your flight is boarded, and so you get on your flight and you just take off to your destination. See, the trap in viewing heaven as a place and focusing on an event called death is that we live like that. That suddenly, heaven becomes just something that we need a ticket to. I'm just going to pray this prayer and get this ticket to a place, and I'm just going to chill out, do whatever I want with my life, so long as at the end of my life, I've got this ticket so that I can go to a place called heaven. It's a trap that I think some of us in the room may have bought into. And this trap absolutely breaks Jesus's heart, because there is so much more for us than just sitting around, focusing on a place and waiting to die so we can go to heaven. In fact, if we really take Jesus' words seriously, we don't have to wait to experience heaven. So if we really take Jesus' words seriously, we realize that eternal life begins now. Eternal life begins now. See, if the focus of eternal life is a relationship with Jesus, then it can start right now. We don't have to wait till we get to a specific place. We don't have to sit around until an event called death occurs, but we can experience eternal life here and now. And how do we do that? Well, in John 14, 6, here's what Jesus said. Jesus said this, I am the way. I'm the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Here's what Jesus is saying. If we want a relationship with God now, we go through him. He is the way. And why is he the way? Because Jesus came to earth. He never made a mistake, never had a bad thought. He lived a perfect life. And willingly, as an innocent human that was fully God and fully man, he went to the cross and he died for us. He took the penalty for all the mess ups that we have in our life. He took the penalty for us. And because he died for us, and then he rose again three days later, conquering death, we have an opportunity through Jesus, to enter into a relationship with God. And if eternal life is really an unhindered relationship with God, then eternal life can begin right now. See, when, when I hear the phrase, the way, here's what I think about. I think about a path. I think about a journey. And I'm reminded that the life Jesus offers is so much more than just a moment and just sitting around and waiting on 
our number to be called so we can go to heaven. The life Jesus offers is a total way of life where we follow him. Now, with that being said, you may be asking, what, what, what is the benefit of a relationship with Jesus? Like, why is a relationship with Jesus such a big deal? This is huge. Please don't miss this. All our soul-level desires are satisfied in Jesus. All, all of our soul-level desires are satisfied in Jesus. See, when we're serious, think about what we really want in heaven. We want restoration, don't we? We know this world's broken and we know we're a part of the brokenness because we mess things up all the time. So what we really want is wholeness. We want everything, including us, to be restored back to its original and unimpaired condition. We want restoration. We want healing. We want relational, emotional, physical healing. We want justice. We want evil to pay, and we want to know that good wins. And justice and restoration and healing all reside in Jesus. See, all, all of our soul-level desires are satisfied in him. If we go back to Revelation, to this glimpse of heaven, here's what it says in Revelation 21.3. This is incredible. John writes, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Listen to the relationship here, that God will dwell with them and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. This is a glimpse into heaven. And John's saying, when I look at heaven, I see an unhindered relationship that we can have with God. And then check this out. Through that unhindered relationship, notice what happens in verse four. It says that Jesus, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Isn't that what we want? Like soul level. When we see an event like Vegas, when we suffer loss, when we experience death, isn't that what we want? All of that comes through Jesus. The only way that we get the deepest longings of our soul satisfied is through a relationship with Jesus. In fact, look at the next verse, verse five. It says, and he who is seated on the throne, Jesus says this, behold, I am making all things new. Who's doing the action? Who's doing the restoring? Jesus. Also, he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true that we can depend upon Jesus to satisfy the deepest longings of our soul. He goes on to say, and he said to me, Jesus said, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. If you walked in this morning and you're thirsty, Jesus says, I will satisfy your thirst without any payment. He says, the one who conquers, if we endure, we will have this heritage. What is our inheritance? What is our heritage? That I will be his God and he will be my son. The reward, the inheritance, the heritage is an un 
unhindered relationship with God. Heaven is heaven because of Jesus. But it doesn't stop in verse 7. Verse 8 says this. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. See, John's telling us the truth. Here's what he wants us to know from this verse, that eternity contains two options, eternal life and eternal death. If we're talking about eternity, we have to realize that eternity contains two options, eternal life and eternal death. Here's what eternal life is. We already said it. It's an unhindered relationship with Jesus. Here's what eternal death is. It's an unending separation from Jesus. So we have a choice, and the choice comes down to Jesus. Heaven is heaven because of Jesus. And if we reject Jesus, we reject heaven. If we reject Jesus, we reject heaven. If we don't want to have a relationship with Jesus now, then we are saying that we don't want to have a relationship with him later. And when we reject Jesus, we get eternal death. As it says in this verse, we get the second death. And here's what it is. It's an eternity. It's an eternity of brokenness. It's an eternity of injustice. It's an eternity where our soul-level desires are never satisfied. See, when we reject Jesus on earth, we're never satisfied on earth. We never experience true life on earth. And what happens is that experience just continues on into eternity. But we can choose Jesus today. And we can know that we're not just punching a ticket to an event when death occurs. We're surrendering control of our life to him. And we're stepping into a relationship in eternal life through that relationship. See, there's two options, eternal life and eternal death. And by following Jesus, here's the choice, that by following Jesus, we can both experience and offer glimpses of heaven on earth. This is incredibly good news. That by following Jesus, we can experience and offer glimpses of heaven on earth. And this adds some weight to the idea of following Jesus. In fact, one of our behavioral values says this. It's really simple. It says, I am being restored and offering restoration to others, that I am experiencing restoration, I'm being restored, and I'm offering restoration to others. So look, are we following Jesus, and are we letting him restore us? If Jesus is the one who will eventually wipe away every tear, let's let him wipe away some tears right now. If Jesus is the one who will remove all mourning, let's take our mourning to him right now. Let's run to Jesus. Let's carve out time to be in his word. Let's make time to be with Jesus' people and to live in community. Let's experience heaven on earth by being restored. And then let's offer heaven on earth to others. Let's offer that restoration to others. That is the role of the church in Vegas right now. Today, on the ground, in Vegas, the purpose of Hope Church and every other church, the purpose of every Jesus follower is to offer to the people of Las Vegas a glimpse of heaven by extending the restoration that they have experienced to them. See, as the church serves, Jesus followers are showing people what heaven's like and offering a chance 
for one little piece of brokenness at a time to be restored by Jesus. So this week, how will we experience heaven on earth? How will we experience restoration? Will we spend time with Jesus? Will we take our hearts and our brokenness to him? And then will we offer it to others? Will we offer to others his healing, his comfort, and his hope? Because in so doing, we will experience glimpses of heaven on earth. And to end our conversation about heaven, one last huge point that we have to see, and it's simple, light wins in the end. That if we're gonna talk about the end of all things, light wins. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 23, here's what it says. And the city, it's, this is a city in heaven. It says, and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives its light and its lamp is the lamp. When all of heaven and all of earth are fully restored, we won't even need a sun because Jesus is the light and the glory of God will illuminate everything. It goes on to say this, by its light, the light of Jesus, will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. We'll talk more about the nations in just a minute. And I love this verse. And its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no what? There will be no night. Darkness vanquished. Every hint of darkness completely removed because the light of Jesus shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. And just in case we're wondering if all the darkness will be removed, I love verse 26. It says, they, talking about the nations, the kings of the nations, they will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. Every single hint of darkness is removed. Even the darkness of racism and prejudice that if we look at our world today, we're like, will it ever really be removed? Here's what this verse says. In heaven, we're not all gonna be white. In heaven, we're not all gonna be black. In heaven, we're not all gonna be the same. In heaven, there's gonna be a celebration of diversity. As the nations bring their fully restored, diverse glory into the city, and honor Jesus by all the unique expressions of humanity. Every single shred of darkness in the end will be eliminated because light wins. And here's how that lands with us personally. Light can win in the end of your life, and light can, end, can, and light can win at the end of my life. See, if eternal life, is an unhindered relationship with Jesus, we can enter into that relationship now. We can allow light to begin winning in our lives now. And, and here's the goal, and I just hope you can see this picture. The goal is that we would begin to enter into relationship with Jesus now. We'd surrender to him. Jesus, based on your death on the cross and you rising from the dead, here's my life. And that we'd carve out time for him. We would allow him to restore us. Every day, we'd be growing closer and closer and closer to Jesus, living in eternal life now, experiences, experiencing glimpses of heaven now until one day the natural progression of the relationship is for us to see him face to face. And we will go from this world into eternity 
continuing in our relationship with him. And all the things that on earth that have hindered us from fully connecting with him, from fully being restored will be removed as we see him face to face and we become completely whole. That's the vision. And that's what Jesus invites us into. See, if we choose Jesus, then light not only wins in the end end, but light can win in our end. And so what we wanna do to finish this series is is I'm gonna show you guys a a video. And this video is by a guy named Jason Diba, and this video is born out of a time of darkness. See, Jason's gonna tell us the story of a song that he wrote. He wrote this song when his pastor, David Landreth, was diagnosed with cancer. David would go on to lose the battle with cancer. He, he died. That's darkness in our world. And, and David's family is very dear to our church. Jennifer Landreth, she's our administrative assistant. Sam Landreth is a key part of our church. So we know the Landreths. And so Jason wrote this song as he saw a leader in his life get cancer, and then he saw some other darkness around him. And, and what's incredible, just as we listen to the story behind the song, is that not only did he see the darkness, but he saw the light. So let's check out his story. When I met David Landreth, I thought this must be the loudest person on the planet. I mean, so I grew up in Chicago and moving down to the South and meeting David, I feel like, for me, he was like a, like a character out of Hee Haw or something. Uh, here's this you know, knee-slapping, football-loving, good old country boy from Cleveland, Tennessee, the hub of the universe, as he always used to say. I mean, he was, he was, he was larger than life. Um, he was brilliant. He was incredibly well-read. Um, but then when he'd step up to preach, even though he was towering, uh, even though he had this incredible presence, he was... He was just a friend. Um, he was someone who was easy to connect with, to listen to. Um, you know, David, he was so loud, but he used that loudness to make much of who Jesus was. I mean, David loved Jesus, and he wanted other people to fall in love with Jesus. I'd worked with David for probably about six years or so when one Friday morning, he called our whole team uh, together and he told us that he had been diagnosed with this really aggressive form of cancer. And I'll never forget that day because the, the air just got sucked out of the room. And I, I think for me, I was, I was like in a place of denial because you know, after all, this was David. He's our pastor. He's our, he's our leader. Um, he's strong. This, this, can't, this can't happen to David. It's like, this, uh, it's like this cloud of darkness had just descended over our land. And we all, we all get that because we, we've all seen that cloud of darkness in the distance. You know, we've seen it when we turn on the news. We see a country being torn apart by war, families, communities being torn apart. We see the cloud of darkness when you know, the hurricane sweeps in in the state next door. 
or when racism springs up in, in the town next door, or when tragedy strikes the home next door. You know, we've, we've all seen the cloud of darkness in the distance, and then one day you wake up, and it's above you. One afternoon, I was sitting at home, sitting at the piano, and just feeling this, this immeasurable sadness about David being sick. And in the middle of that, my phone was sitting out and it suddenly lit up and it had this news notification and it said, breaking news, the Boston Marathon race has just been bombed. That was like the final straw for me. I just, I just I couldn't handle all this grief going on in the world. And so I closed my eyes and somewhere in the middle of that silence, God reminded me of something that David had preached about just a few weeks earlier. He said, we don't grieve like the world grieves. We grieve, but not without hope of a further and a better place beyond. When I opened my eyes, I was, I was suddenly hit with this, this melody and, and these words, and so I quickly wrote them down. I wrote, in the end, love will fill the earth, raising dead to life. In the end, we will see the kingdom come. In the end, all of darkness will be bursting into light, and we will live with you forever in the end. That's the assurance that we have in following Jesus. At the end of 2014, we, we laid David to rest and we celebrated his life. We celebrated that even though a cloud of darkness had come over him, that he kept his eyes focused on the light of Jesus. David knew that even cancer would bow to Jesus. I hope that everyone who hears David's story, including everyone at public church, that you would come to that same realization that David came to, that God is above all things, that he holds all things together, and that those who know him, those who love him, those who are his sons and daughters, that we will live forever with Jesus in the end. As public worship comes up, they're gonna lead us in the song in the end. And we're gonna have an opportunity just to respond. And there's several ways that we can respond to this hope that we have beyond this world. If you're not a Jesus follower, you can pray right now and just ask him to rescue you from yourself, to restore you to a relationship with God because of the cross and the resurrection. And if you have questions about that, there'll be some leaders underneath the exit sign from the refuge room who would love to talk with you. If you have any questions about light and darkness in the battle and the fact that light does win in the end, please go to our refuge room leaders and talk to them. But we just wanna respond and worship a God who loves us so much. I wanna read from my journal on May 26th. God inspired today. And on May 26th, God gave me the vision that we were gonna have this video and sing this song. 
Because on May 26, God knew the tragedy that we were gonna face last Sunday. He knew what you were gonna be walking through. And he knew that this was the message that we all needed to hear. And one day God will intervene and he'll remove all the darkness. But until that day, he says, hey, I've been planning this moment since May 26 just for you. So will you respond? Will you allow light to win in your life? So Jesus, I just thank you that this moment has been coming for months. That you love us so much that you meet us right where we are, exactly where we need you. And I pray that in your immense love, you would speak to us, you would show us the hope that we have beyond this world, the hope of a relationship with you that begins now and that continues forever where we can be satisfied. Jesus, would you just speak to us? And would you give us the courage to respond, to lean into you, to do whatever we need to do to let light win?